0: Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of The Package Tourist, hosted by yours truly, The Package Tourist in the Magical Mystery Tour called Life, Matthew Diviaz. Tonight, our featured guest, making his second appearance on this show, is author and my dear friend, David Dupuy. In 1998, David wrote a highly acclaimed biography of NHL goaltending legend Sir Terry Sawchuk, titled Sawchuck, The Troubles and Triumphs of the World's Greatest Goalie. Written with the cooperation of Sawchuck's widow and his children, Sawchuck is a searing account of the forces that made Terry Sawchuck one of the greatest goaltenders in NHL history, and also of the demons that destroyed his life and ultimately ended it exactly 50 years ago on May 31st, 1970. My interview tonight with David is to commemorate Sawchuck's life and legacy. David, when did you first conceive the idea of writing Terry Sawchuk's biography? Hi, Matthew. Um,
1: I had always kind of dreamed of, of of writing his story. He was my hero, and uh, when I first started dabbling in writing, and I wrote some small, short historical books, but then uh, I ran into a buddy of mine who was an NHL scout, and uh, he uh, had asked me around nineteen. 19- 95 will say it's hard to believe I wrote this book 22 years ago my goodness but uh he said what are you writing and I said well you know I'm dabbling but, da, 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 but my dream I would love to always write a book about Terry Sacha and he his eyes just lit right up and he said you got to write that book and uh, uh I'll help you every which way I can and uh it was a bit of a long road to contact the family um This was a family that uh, I think over the years, a hundred writers had approached and uh, everybody had been turned down or ignored. And um, I uh, wrote the family, I never heard back. So my friend, uh, Paul Henry, the the NHL scout for for Florida at the time, knew Marcel Pornable, who was Terry's very best friend and fellow teammate in Detroit and Toronto, contacted him and uh, he, Marcel said, "Have David send me his his letter." So he did. Sent it to him, and within half an hour, Marcel called me and said, "You're the fellow we've been waiting for. I want to talk to the family," and and things fell into place.
0: When you were researching this book, what was the greatest surprise you discovered about Sawchuk's life when when you were doing your research?
1: I, I, my greatest surprise: uh, I, the hockey stuff. I kind of knew. But I mean, uh, when, when you're sitting with uh, his, uh, his ex-wife or wife uh, for all those years and family, you realize that he put them through a lot in, uh, in his short time and their short time with him. And uh, what surprised me was the depth of emotion. Uh, Mrs. Satcha came up to Michigan from Florida and, and spent three days with me, and it was emotional. Uh, we had to stop many times and this was this was twenty five years or so after his death and uh, the uh, the memories and the hurt and the laughs uh, were still there and that was my greatest surprise was the raw emotion that uh, that family still carried uh, after all those years and I do believe in many ways the book was a catharsis for them it helped them to Well, some of them actually never knew him much because they were so young when he died. And I got letters from most of them saying uh, it was great that uh, they got to know their father. Uh, But uh, the raw emotion of Pat Sawchuk was the greatest surprise of the story.
0: David, please tell our listeners about the events that led to Terry Sawchuk's shocking and sudden death 50 years ago. What happened?
1: Yeah, he was a... uh, a backup goalie, Eddie Jackman, who was a New York Ranger goalie, he was in New York at this time, and uh, the season had just ended. They'd been eliminated by the Boston Bruins, and uh, so they were, uh, he was rooming with a fellow by the name of Ron Stewart, and they met at a bar uh, having a few drinks, and uh, uh, argument erupted over unpaid bills that they, they Ron had paid. And, was saying Terry owed him, and they, they got into a very strong disagreement in the bar, uh, started fighting, they were kicked out of the bar, and ensuingly um, and each went drove home uh, on Long Island, and uh, the fight started again, and uh, in the backyard, there was a barbecue pit, and in the scuffle, Terry fell on the barbecue. Um at first he was rushed to hospital with a a well they thought it was a bruised liver, but it would turn out to be uh punctured and um at that time they didn't know how to treat a uh a bleeding liver, uh damaged liver. And um so he ended up having a couple operations and then uh After the last operation in New York Hospital, it seemed that they had fixed the issue, but then uh, on a Sunday morning, May 31st, 1970, they were rolling him over in bed, uh, and a blood clot went to his lungs, and uh, the greatest goalie of all time up till then, and many still think so, uh, passed away.
0: Now, in your book, you talk about that Sawchuck was a bit of a hard, you know, he was a hard liver. You know, he drank more than his share and all that. you think it was the cumulative years that kind of led to the weakening of his liver? Or so, and uh, that, that altercation with Ron Stewart was cut kind on of like the, the final straw that led to his death. Is that it would, is it accurate to say that or no?
1: No, it's not. Actually, you talk about surprises. The autopsy report showed that his liver was an amazing condition, uh, surprisingly, and that it had an ability to clot, um, which ultimately led to his death because it, it, it uh, created clots that ended up going into his blood system and going to his lungs. But uh, his his liver showed no sign of being a diseased liver, which was a shocking uh, uh, thing that I found out.
0: Okay. What innovations did Terry Sawchuk bring to goaltending?
1: Before Terry came along, goaltenders tended to, to kind of bend a little bit at the knee, but they kind of stood straight up. They didn't bend very far. And uh, when Terry came along, uh, he bent down at the waist very deeply. And uh, this enabled him to have great balance uh, on his feet and he could move like a cat. So he was the first goaltender to really bend down in the crouch, and uh, which all goalies do today. And uh, amazingly, it, it also put his bare face uh, closer and more in direct line with, with shots because he was barefaced. faced And uh, most times his, his face would be first. He would be bent over so deeply, his back flat, uh, and his face prominently... Facing the pot first more than anything else in his body, and so that was one of his great innovations: was uh, bending down and, and being in a crouch. Um, the other thing that happens is that Jacques Plante invented the mask, but until Terry Sawchuk started wearing one in 1962, um, the mask had had kind of been grudgingly accepted. Uh, the Canadians gave Jacques, Jacques a hard time about wearing it, but once. Terry started wearing it regularly in 1962 until Blake and, and Montreal management stopped complaining about it. And uh, there are a few quotes of Jacques Plant saying, well, you know, uh, Terry is the best, and if he's wearing it, then everybody figures it's fine. So in a certain way, he's, he brought the mask in. He made the mask
0: more accepted. Okay. Besides, his, you talked about his quickness. What were his other great strengths as a goaltender?
1: Oh, his greatest strength was just uh, grit. Uh, he he played through so many injuries and so many psychological issues uh, to do what he did. Uh, I call him the greatest athlete of all time, bar none. Muhammad Ali, Babe Ruth, uh, none of them could have could have played with permanently broken uh, elbow. Uh, he did as God as a child, a cut eyeball when he was in the minors. Uh, alcoholic from pretty much the get-go of his first year in the NHL, and and even a little bit before that in the minors. And then he would get mononucleosis. He would get neuritis. He had lordosis. He eventually had to have a back operation uh, prior to starting for the Leafs and winning that last cup. He had a back operation that fused some discs. He had 400 facial stitches, uh, a severed hand on his tendons, tendons on his hand that – uh, Bob Pulford had stepped on it and severed all the uh, ligaments in his hand. That hand just flopped, and he was actually en route to have probably one of his best seasons in 1960-61. So, to play through all of all of that with such grit, determination, determination, uh, anger, uh, unresolved issues throughout his life. His his brother died young. And when he was seven and his brother was uh, 17 and that that created such an anger and and frustration in him. But it also gave him such a great determination just to overcome absolutely everything and um, to not only become one of the greatest goalies of all time, but one of the greatest legends
0: of all time. Sports psychology was non-existent back then. But if he were in today's hockey day, do you think Sawchuk's emotional problems could have been resolved, given today's sports psychology and also modern-day psychiatric medicine? Do you think he could have resolved his demons? Actually, I, I do. Um,
1: uh, you, like you say, back then, it wasn't talked about. They didn't have psychiatrists. Now teams have psychiatrists uh, coming out of the yin-yang. Um, I believe he was very stubborn, didn't like doctors, hated being in hospitals. He was always in them. But um, they did send a psychiatrist once to see him when uh, when he was having issues and starting to miss some games with the Red Wings in the in the mid fifties. And uh, he he threw him out of his room and he told his wife Patty he says, "Do you know what that guy's name is? His Name was Doctor Ketchum. And he said <laughs> I threw him right out of there. So um, perhaps he I, I think he would have would have had help, um, but." His unresolved issues created that anger and determination that uh, made him who he was. And to play through anything, it was, it was just phenomenal.
0: If Terry Sawchuk were 18 years old today and in perfect physical and mental health and his immortal skills are completely intact, do you think he could, he could have been a goal star in the NHL today? In other words, translate his skill set from then, even in today's game, you think he would still be immortal? He would
1: be above mortal, I think. I've, I've often thought of that, and it's hard to compare errors and, and transform goaltenders from the original six to, to playing today. But uh, with the natural ability he had, um, if, if he would have come into the NHL today with the equipment they have, the, the coaching they have, um, the psychologists they have, I I think he would have you know, he got 103 shutouts. He probably would have gotten 203. I mean, there's such natural talent. Marcel Perlgo always told me that, you know, there has never been a goaltender to have as much natural talent. Uh, He said the closest he ever saw was Martin Brodeur. But, uh, Terry just, um, just shone when he got on the ice. And, uh, his natural talent, his ability to just rise above any situation and in dire games uh, come up with with the the stellar performance, I I think he would have gotten
0: 200 shutouts. Now you mentioned Martin Brodeur. Now, so you believe you could compare him with Patrick Waugh, Martin Brodeur, and Dominic Hajek in terms of quality and skills? Yeah, absolutely. Um, The the secret with uh, Terry
1: and Martin Brodeur is that Martin Brodeur was – the last goaltender to play a stand-up style. Mm. And uh, he went on to, to eclipse Terry's records. And I believe part of the reason that Marty did that was because he did play stand-up. He only had very, he had amazingly Martin's only real injury uh, that he had in his career was a sore elbow. Mm. Uh, it kept him out one season. I thought that's quite ironic seeing how, how Terry uh, had elbow issues his whole career. And, uh, so, Marty, Marty played uh, stand up just like Terry. And I believe that's a big reason why Marty had a long career because, you know, it's a lot less stress on the knees. Uh, up and down is, is brutal on your knees. And um, so I, I, they're very comparable that
0: way. Now, I remember when I bought you, when I had the honor and pleasure of reading your book, I noticed in the liner notes, apparently the publisher said that Martin Brodeur actually had a copy. Of yes. that book and was ostentatiously reading it. Besides Brodier, had any other? Have you ever gotten feedback from any other NHL goaltenders giving you the thumbs up on the book besides Brodier? Any? No, have you heard anything? No, no, the grapevine. Patrick
1: When Patrick Kivaya was also chasing his record, uh, there were many articles where he talked about the book,
0: Ooh. and
1: uh, I guess um, Patrick Kivaya is a real student of the game as well. And uh, so there were many articles out of uh, Denver. Uh, He was reading the book and learning about Terry. And as he was about to eclipse his his, uh, uh, all-time games record, uh, at that time, of course, Marty eclipsed him later, uh, that he had read the book and was learning about him. And, uh, you know, the book actually, you know, amazingly 28 years after his death at the time, uh, brought him out to a whole new uh, bunch of fans who... Had maybe heard about him, but didn't know anything about him. And I believe many credit the book with the reason that uh, he still continues to be viewed as number one uh, okay. of all time. Uh, part of it was putting the record straight with the book and uh, uh, comparing him to the other goalies of his time. And um, everybody who saw him play, uh, and you know, you've got to go by that with those who saw goalies play and who they say was the best they ever saw uh they a lot of them credit uh seeing terry and, and saying above above all he, he was the best
0: of all the goaltenders today the active ones do any sort of remind you of saw chuck and either uh styles or you know me- uh, grit and toughness or anything like that anyone comes to mind that's kind of reminiscent of saw chuck in today's game
1: not really. Um, well, there's such a different style, flopping down. Uh, everybody goes down and stops a shot. Almost every shot, they're on their knees. Um, so really, none of them strike me as, as, as uh, comparing to Terry that way. Uh, I don't know them personally, but um, uh, like I said, Marcel Pronovost said that Marty was the only goaltender that he knew that had that Old deep down drive, that old time uh, determination to to do whatever he had to do to dig down and 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 be the best he could.
0: Did he? Now we talk about his magnificent strength. Did he have any type of weaknesses as a goaltender? Something that kind of, uh, sort of like a little flaw in his, his style or anything he had trouble mastering.
1: <laughs> he had trouble
0: with bouncing
1: pucks. The Canadians were great at lobbing a puck, you know, and it would bounce in front of the goalie. And there was a, not, a, not a lot of goals scored on him, but, you know, when those kind of goals go in on you, it's it's brutal. It's so embarrassing. And I remember seeing one, and the puck plopped just in front of him, and you don't know which way it's going to bounce. And uh, he always <laughs> – he always had trouble with bouncing pucks, and Henry Richard was really good at lobbing them, and it would lob them in front. You know, it was almost a secret weapon.
0: i like to tell my listeners one amazing aspect, and I think this most amazing stat about Sawchuck is that in the 1952 Stanley Cup Finals, uh, the Red Wings only had to play eight games to win the Stanley Cup, and... Saul Chuck's goals-allowed average was, uh, tell me if this is right, 0.50, which I believe is still an NHL record in Stanley Cup competition.
1: Yeah, he got he got four shutouts. He never got scored on on home ice. I mean, uh, Ted Lindsay always said, that will never happen again. You know, of course, I mean, the game's different today. They play a lot more yeah. playoff games. But uh, for those eight games, uh, everybody who – played with him, against him, they state that that 51-52 season was probably the most perfect season that a goaltender ever had in the regular season and the playoffs. He could stop. Ted Lindsay used to say he could throw a kernel of rice at him and he would catch everyone. And uh, that 52 season when they won the Cup, uh, he was just phenomenal. He was the star of stars.
0: And I like to tell our listeners in that final he took on the Montreal Canadiens, who had one of the greatest offensives offenses in all the NHL history in that season, too. And absolutely. to do that is just yes. absolutely stupendous.
1: Yes.
0: Yeah. What was Sawchuk like with his fan base? I mean, was he friendly with fans or was he distant with fans? I mean You know
1: what? It, it depended on his mood. Um A lot of times uh, he would be surly with them, and then sometimes he would be just great with them. Uh, Our greatest example, we have it in the book, is uh, in 1967, the night of his 100th shutout, he's with the Leafs, they just beat the Blackhawks, and a young boy is brought into the dressing room. He's in a wheelchair, and he's brought into the dressing room on Terry's 100th shutout night. Terry's, in a great mood and uh they wheel the boy over to terry and terry just lights right up and uh talks to the boy and brings him around he grabs his goal stick and he brings him around to meet the whole team has everybody sign his stick and uh the guys were getting on the bus they had to catch a flight out of town to go play out of town and he was late he was still with the kid uh and he kept telling him, you know, he, the boy ended up having polio, and he kept telling him, you keep on doing what you're doing. You you keep at it. You don't give up, you know, you keep going. Well, the amazing thing is that boy grew up to be a journalist, and he grew, he went on to be the lieutenant governor of Ontario. Oh, ho, 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 I did meet him. His name was David Onley, and uh, uh, I did meet him at a ceremony. Uh, my sister got an award at Queen's Park in Toronto. And uh, once we he knew who I was, we had quite a nice chat. And I said, that night, you recall it? He says, yeah. He says, I think I got lucky. Wow. <laughs> he was in a good mood. <laughs> but he says, I'll never forget it.
0: Wow. Now, was he like the same with his teammates? I mean, did he have friends among his teammates? Or was he kind of a bit of a, was he a bit of a loner? Besides Pronovo, because you said Pronovo was, you know, was always his best buddy, you know?
1: Always, you know what? He compartmentalized his whole life. Marcel was his best buddy. Marcel had never been to his house for a meal. Holy Never He never once, never once uh, had a meal together at Terry's house. They had meals at Marcel's house, but Terry never invited anybody over. So he compartmentalized his life. He had his drinking buddies. He had his hockey buddies. He had his golf buddies. And uh, he never let them mix Mm. And, of course, he uh, also led a life where, you know, he had uh, female companions on the side. And so that was another compartment of his life that he never let anybody into.
0: Now, I, I like to remind my viewers, uh, you are still presently working on your Magnificent Hildegard series, but you have written other hockey bios as well. Actually, most recently, a very fantastic biography of Red Kelly. Um, After you complete the Hildegard series, do you expect to do another hockey bio? And if so, any idea as to who it'll be about and when we might expect its release?
1: I have no idea. Uh, I did the three books, one on Pierre Palat, Terry Sautjeck, of course, and then the Red Kelly story that uh, we're so proud of that we won the uh, 2016 Ontario Speakers Book Award for it. Um, And another hockey story, there are a lot of work um and i think if a book came along a story came along i I would have to seriously think about it because it is so great to meet uh pierre pilant was one of the greatest defensemen in chicago history obviously terry uh i didn't get to meet terry but i got to meet his teammates who played with him. i got to meet his family i got to meet some friends so uh marcel used to say you know terry baubles better than anybody and then when you meet Red Kelly and do a book with him, uh, it took a lot of convincing for Red because he did, it's funny, Red had been approached many times and oh, I'm not too sure. And it took a lot to convince him. He was he was uh, 88 when he agreed to do the book. And I kept thinking, Red, what are you waiting for? You know? Wow. So, uh, but I mean, it's an intrusion in their life. And, and Red was so humble, you know, that, uh, but anyway, we ended up being you know, a great collaboration with me and, A fellow writer by the name of Waxy Gregware, who who did the Pierre Paulot book with me as well, and uh, uh, so doing another. If a hockey story came along that would interest me, uh, approached by somebody, I'd always seriously think about it for sure. But right now, there's nothing on the horizon.
0: Ah, okay. Well, but if you ever do come up with one, let me know because I want to talk to you about it on this show. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. David, I want to thank you so much and good luck on the Hildegard series. And when volume three comes out, I want you on my show and I want to tell you, I want you to tell the whole world about it. Okay. All this, no problem. All you, great. You, nice talking to you. You take care and be safe, David. Be safe. You you okay. Too, okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Stay tuned ladies and gentlemen for next week's show where I will be interviewing baseball author Jacob Kornhauser. Thank you. And good night.